Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 103 of the F1 Show for coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix from Yas Marina. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And can I just say how happy I am to be working with a podcast co-host of this caliber. There's a lot of people that can host an F1 podcast, but not a lot of men who can host an exciting F1 podcast after a race that's not terribly exciting. And I'd like to add that I find my co-host to be particularly attractive in a physical way and emotionally feel tied to him more now than ever, seeing how there's just so much positive around him, like an aura... And his intelligence, I think, really just brings the whole room up. See, He's radiant, see, I think you I could say. I feel like now you're just trying to get the F1 show host contract for 2012 now. <laughs> it really just kind of seems like pandering. But anyway, um, yeah, we uh, had some great feedback from our previous show with a special guest and so on. It is just the two of us back again for uh, our, our usual deal here for the Abu Dhabi show. Yeah, my uh, cage didn't work this time around. Yeah, uh, no, no takers this time. But um, yeah, we had it's obviously the season is winding down. Uh, we've, this was the second to last race, um, so there's not quite as many news and updates and things. I mean, Nico Rosberg, re, you know, renewed his contract for Mercedes, but no big, you know, well, no he, changes. And nothing he announced crazy it silly. in the back of a car, which was odd. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that video. I didn't. Yeah, it, he he announced it as he was driving away from wherever, and he was in the back of a Mercedes saying, well, that's good. "It's very exciting, and I'm very excited." It's like okay. As he drives off in his Ferrari or something. No, what, what? as he got a ride in the back. Okay, weird. Anyway, so you know, nothing, nothing crazy dramatic. Um, I think the overall feedback from the race in India was that it really came together well. I mean, especially compared to the uh, inaugural race at Korea and even the second year race at Korea, really kind of feeling unfinished and like it wasn't quite all put together. That you know, the the, the track organizers did a good job and the whole race went off well and it was you know just kind of a, kind of a cool event. So it was good to sort of see that all settle. But then of course you know everything moves on and they're back in the Middle East for the uh, day into night race, which is always kind of fun. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, we want to start with, with practice and uh, go from there. Well, we have one thing from the Indian Grand Prix, which we have to close out just a little bit, uh, is the name of the circuit. Remember, we've had this debate just a little bit, and I expressed to you uh, my Indian friend's um, contention that it should be pronounced the Buddha International Circuit, not the Bood International Circuit. And his basic, basically what he's saying is it's the name is B-U-D-D-H, that's how you spell Buddha. It doesn't spell anything else. They just lob the A off. And that, in fact, the circuit is named after the uh, named after uh, Gautam Buddha. So it's supposed to be the Buddha circuit, but they just knock the A, a off. But the other side of that is... They knock the A off. They knock the A off. No and one calls it Buddha. So it, it just, but he's still, he's still firm on the fact that it's pronounced the Buddha International Circuit. Yeah, and it's it's sort of funny because uh, you know all the the articles and stuff I found about it said you know the name is derived from the name Buddha, so it's derived from it, so it would make sense that it would be pronounced the same way, except it's not the same name, and it's also named after the region that it's in, which is itself named after Buddha. So a little bit, uh, I, I guess maybe that clears it up in in a way, but it's still a bit of a mystery as to why why is the age gone if it should be pronounced Buddha? No, wait, no, no, no. I'm looking at it more car- carefully now. I think I've got it. It's Craig. Ah, internet Craig, it's, it's Craig, Craig International. Craig. Yeah, yes, that, there that, it is. It's just a, those Americans, you know. I tell you, they just ruin everything. Alrighty, so practice. Actually, practice. we did have some uh, some drama here, um, and and from some of the top guys. I mean, there's usually some little spins and, and, and missteps and things, but uh, we actually had first of all was Felipe Massa, um, you know, just just running wide off track and uh, not hitting anything, but you know enough to sort of you know be. Uh, 
you know, a little bit out there and, and certainly getting it wrong. And just uh, I guess it was sort of you know, going onto the curbs and on the painted parts of the curbs just being quite slippery, as the painted parts of things usually are, um, and, and running off. But then uh, later, uh, Vettel doing yes, that. not to be outdone. He, he slid off in the same area. He got into the corner just a little bit far, more than Felipe did, but he was going quickly enough and spun in such a way to actually bump the wall a little mm-hmm. bit and damage his car. It was a pretty direct side impact. It was pretty well 90 degrees to the wall when he, uh, you know, when he, when he hit there. Um, it wasn't enough to – he had to go back in the garage for repairs, of course, but uh, was able to make it out by the end of the session. So it wasn't a huge deal. just did miss some practice time. Um, but later, later it was Fernando Alonso who'd rotated the most of them all, enough to actually get the back of the car into the, uh, into the, into the wall and with, with quite a bit more speed. And that was enough to actually damage the back of the car. And uh, Alonso after the wor- afterwards basically just said he was annoyed to miss all that practice time uh, you know, to, to get himself set up for this track. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it was, it was interesting to see the track develop and the, and the times come down. This is the first time we've been in Abu Dhabi with Durs to play with and things like that. So it was good to watch. And of course, you know, the scenery is always interesting going from, you know, dust into dark and, and that kind of stuff, but mostly what you'd expect. Uh, I guess the biggest surprise wasn't that the Red Bulls were quick because they're always quick, but how strong McLaren looked in practice. Yeah, practice one was Jensen Button at the top of the timesheets. Practice two was Lewis Hamilton at the top with Jensen behind him. Then Alonso, Massa, Weber, and then Vettel way down because, you know, he he did 26 laps compared to 31, so it wasn't uh, a whole lot of missed time there. And then Hamilton again at the top of practice three uh, with, you know, with only 17 laps in there, not even a huge number of laps. But, uh, I mean, yeah, really, you know, we... uh, we we predicted we say oh it's all going to be Vettel for the rest of the season and then uh, here we go with really strong um, you know McLaren results so we go into qualifying yes thinking like all right maybe we picked the wrong guy maybe this is the you know the next time that Hamilton actually uh, you know jumps and uh, and and beats Vettel to the pole right no 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 not quite actually no but it it did look honestly close at the end of the day Sebastian Vettel did once again secure pole and he did do so for the fourteenth time. This season, which t- ties uh, Nigel Mansell's record in absolute numbers, but in the real sense, not even close. And uh, Jim and I have been kind of saying this the whole time, and some people are kind of waffling back and forth on this. Yes, in one season, Mansell got 14, and now Vettel has as well. But Mansell did it in 14 of 16 races, and you know Vettel's doing it out of 19. It's not to take away from Vettel's achievement, but it's just to say that the two really don't compare and it'd be much better to look at ratio of poles out of out of attempts at pole. Yeah, and and this time the speed commentators were talking about that. Okay, you know, percentage of poles available, and that even if Vettel were to get this pole, which of course he did, and and again in Brazil, um, that even then it wouldn't still be the percentage of fourteen out of sixteen that that Nigel Mansell already has. So you know, it's it's you know, like you say, it's a different number. Um, you know, the absolute poles. It, it's great and all to be consistent enough to you know do that many but when it's a just you know a single season it's the same kind of deal we look at with points with you know number of points scored in a season or total number of points that really changes because if a win is worth 10 points one year and 25 points the next oh, year yeah um then that's a pretty pretty different number of points so right. you, know, you have to sort of compare it so i guess it's like exchange rates or thinking oh in 1900s dollars this is how much this would cost now right that right kind of sure. thing. you just kind of got to adjust that to uh to make it fair so in second place, uh, outside pole, was Lewis Hamilton, uh, and not too far behind. We're about tenth and a half uh, behind Sebastian Vettel. And very, very close, nine thousandths behind, was Jensen Button in third place. 
And that one was really a shame for the Jensen fans amongst us because he was ahead of he was ahead of um, Hamilton on track, and really looked like Jensen was going to be the quicker of the two McLarens, which is always nice to see. It's nice to see the good old boy get there. Maybe it's the mustache. You never know. Oh, and. Then right at the end in the third sector, uh, Hamilton caught up and pimped him just a little, little bit. In a relatively distant fourth, however, was Sebastian Vettel's teammate, Mark Weber. Uh, you know, doing he was still in the 38s, and he was the slowest guy to be in the 38s. But, you know, solidly, you know, four tenths slower than his teammate, which, you know, it's, it's not terrible by, you know, Vettel standards. By Vettel-Weber standards. Yeah, yeah, but still not great. And if, you know, if Red Bull is trying to get Mark Webber to second in the championship at the end of this year, it's not helping. Yeah, and then behind him with the Ferraris, Alonso ahead there, and then the Mercedes, Rasberg ahead. So uh, fairly straightforward results. And then actually the Force India is lining up side by side there yeah. with Adrian Sutil uh, ahead of DeResta only because he set a time in Q3 and his Q2 time was faster. Um, but, uh, you know, Paul DeResta just in 10th and the, as the last guy in Q3. Um, Interestingly enough, too, with the Mercedes, Nico qualified seventh, Schumacher eighth, but Nico's time was almost a full second faster than Schumacher's. It was over. It was just under nine tenths faster. Yeah, and looking at his Q two time, um, Nico had a thirty nine four to Schumacher's forty point five. So I mean, that wasn't just the what they happened to run in the last session. Oh, I mean, that I mean, was... it's it's been there the whole time. Yeah. Nico had a forty one one compared to Schumacher's forty two six in Q one. Just you said Q two time. So yeah, Schumacher for whatever reason did not have the pace in qualifying. Yeah, uh, the other thing I want to mention is uh, Rubens Barrichello. Unfortunately, was at the slow end of the grid. He was. Uh, did not set any laps at all in qualifying. He had an engine problem. They had to swap in a used engine for him. Um, this was a, during practice, so it wasn't enough to get a, a grid penalty or anything, but um, ended up that he couldn't get out in qualifying and didn't set any time at all. The stewards did allow him to race because, you know, the 107% thing, but um, he it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't because he, you know, his car wasn't fast. It just it wasn't running. So it was all the usual six and Rubens out at the uh, at the back of the field in Q1, which is just a disappointment. I mean, it's you know, Rubens doesn't have a contract for next year. It's possible this is you know, these are the last couple of races of his career. And uh, and you know, and, and Williams with its former glory and Rubens, who's experienced so much glory with Braun and Ferrari and everything, uh, to just be languishing at the back. And he still seems like he's just kind of, you know just such a nice guy and sort of like, well, you know, this is kind of the deal and he's not, you know, just getting all uppity with the reporters or anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's disappointing, but Hey, right. you know, it's, it's, which is too bad. I mean, Rubens just seems like such a nice guy and, well, just, uh, to have him, to have him be languishing in the back from, you know, a problem that's not even his own fault. It was really actually, uh, very visually, uh, interesting to see both Williams in the very back row kind of symbolizing their season this year, because not only did Pastor Maldonado only manage to qualify, 17th in actual grid position, but he also had a 10 grid spot penalty to cope with after that. But that was the thing that actually really surprised me is Pastor got a 10 spot grid penalty, but he ended up being 23rd, not 24th. And Rubens was 24th. I I didn't understand. I guess maybe Rubens was completely disqualified from qualifying altogether. And then maybe Pastor got the 10 spot penalty, but that's not as bad as being out of qualifying altogether. I don't know, but either way, Pastor in 23rd and Rubens 24th. Yeah, so the way the way it was written was that, um, you know, technically Rubens didn't qualify, which means, you, you know, if you didn't qualify for the race, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to participate in the race, but it was allowed to race at Stewart's discretion. So I guess that is still a step lower than, hey, he qualified, but he had a penalty, but he had to move back and so on. But either way, I mean, again, all Williams back row, that, that's, that's rough for that team. Definitely. 
so that's uh, the starting. And, I, and the other thing uh, we, we talked about was, um, you know, Hamilton, uh, and this was this, I guess it's already been made a big deal of, but um, during practice starts, you know, Hamilton did his practice start from the P2 spot as though he's got like some prescient sense for like, oh, I'm going to start in P2, so I'm going to start my practice run from here. And, uh, you know, I don't know how, how different it really is doing your practice start from uh, from the pole position spot or outside pole or just to sort of thinking, hey, it's probably going to be Vettel on pole again because it's almost always Vettel on pole. Um, or, or if, if that was able to, to make him a difference. But um, it, it wasn't enough for uh, for, Alon- for Hamilton to get around Vettel into turn one. I mean, even if he uh, had his practice starts from that grid spot and kind of cocked his car with an angle a little bit on it to, uh, to really chase down Vettel into turn one, it uh, didn't turn out to be enough to get around uh, Sebastian Vettel in turn one. No, no, sir. And But that was part of the race. Yes, and without a doubt, the big story of the start of the race was Sebastian Vettel not Sebastian Vetteling this race by pulling out a whole bunch of laps and getting a huge lead and blah, 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 blah. Yes, but, he was uh, out-Vetteled. He was out-Vetteled by his own right rear suspension. Because that suspension got Hamilton. Wow, I don't even know, where that, <laughs> I don't even know what that means at this no, point. No, but it did. Okay, so turn one was fine. Turn two, the um, rear suspension, right rear suspension on Vettel's car broke in such a way that the tire went down and the car went out of control and it was uh, just enough, you know, spun off track. And was able to, you know, Vettel was able to make his way back around to the pits. But uh, as soon as they kind of wiggled that hub, you could tell something was broken in the suspension. And uh, that was day done for Vettel. So uh, the worst result of the season for Vettel. Um, it's a little hard to be super sad for him after he has, of course, clinched the driver, driver's championship a couple races ago. And the team has done the constructor's championship. And, uh, you know, he's just won almost everything and is setting records and whatnot. Um, but still, uh, you know, that, uh, that was the end of his race. And... Uh, it, you know, kind of opened it up for the rest of the field. Uh, it, it seemed like with Vettel out of the way, um, the rest of the, you know, especially the, the sort of top five, top ten guys really were out for blood at that point. I mean, the first couple of laps, and the first lap specifically, um, it was just a lot of dicing, even before DRS came on, some passing and passing back and those kind of things. It was uh, actually quite a bit going on. But basically Hamilton, um, who was who had a, a good start as well and was solidly behind Vettel, um, with Vettel out of the way, just took off and uh, was, was able to uh, just you know, keep in front of all the, all the nonsense, but, uh, behind there, there was quite a bit of jostling around. Absolutely. Now what caused Vettel's puncture specifically is still a little bit unknown. Um, basically what we've learned so far is that, um, everything was fine in turn one. And, um, by the time they got, to, uh, uh, after they crossed the apex of turn one, there was an instantaneous loss of pressure, they claim. And, uh, by the time they got to turn two, there was no tire pressure, which caused the car to spin. And they think the spin is what caused the suspension damage um, that had to retire the car. There was a little bit of speculation on Speed's coverage, at least, that the suspension damage happened before the tire pressure loss, before the tire was damaged. The suspension caused the tire, not the tire to the suspension. Red Bull is claiming that, no, it was a simple puncture, and that uh, after the car was punctured, that's what caused the damage to the suspension and basically forced uh, Vettel to retire day done. Uh, they said they're not exactly sure what happened. They don't. They're not blaming the tire, saying that the, Pirelli gave them a faulty tire or anything like that. They they say it's possible there was just some debris on the track or thing, something like that. It's it, it's funny that, in a way, it's it's a big compliment to how good tires and everything has gotten. That when a tire's puncture, they're like, well, what happened? Because it wasn't that long ago where tires tires would just fail, 
all the time. That was another failure point on the car. Yeah, especially when there were two terror constructors and everyone's trying to be on the bleeding edge and get that last little bit out of each one and how, how, you know, how sticky can we make these and how light can we make these and how can we get the balance. And so that was certainly, you know, uh, always on the, the, the hairy edge of, uh, of performance for tires. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, so I guess we know that the tire went down, the car spun, and um, and the suspension was broken. I guess we don't know which ones are causes and effects of the right. whole thing. But uh, Red Bull claims that the tire went down first and that that just happened. And uh, But just like you said, you know, we've been talking about this all season. Something's bound to happen to Vettel one day, right? Yeah. And I think it's pretty fair to say, and you and I have both kind of given up on that. It's like he's already won the championship. What could go wrong for him now? Screw it. It's going to be Vettel Vettel for the rest of time. And fate finally caught up to him and, uh, you know, threw him a little bit of lemon. And, you know, he was visibly upset about the whole circumstance, but, you know, very quickly consoled by many members of the team. It's like... And Bernie Ecclestone. Yeah, and, yeah, Bernie was there. It's like, dude, we're already ballers. We've got, we got this thing on lockdown. It's don't like, sweat it too much. We'll still let you in the Red Bull party paddock in the pool here. Like, <laughs> don't worry about it, dude. You're all right. Yeah. You know, he's not he's not the guy racing for his career. It's not, you know, there certainly are some folks later in the grid that uh, that are more worried about it, but it's like, dude, Vettel, you're fine. You and know? credit where credit's due. I mean, this is legit, honest respect here. I'm doing, Jim will, there's respect here, right? I'm giving, getting the chest bump to Vettel because he didn't go off to his, you know, luxury suite within the motorhome and then get helicoptered to his boat where he would then get flown to his house where he would then get you know rubbed with you know oil from lavender and fed grapes and you know many other this is things. Res- this is what, what this is respect for metal yeah no okay. he didn't do all oh, that he didn't do that he stayed in the garage and then he was on the he was on the pit wall on the hot pit he had the radio on he was still in his racing suit you know still being a part of the team supporting the team um maybe he was trying to convince christian horner to knock weber out of the car i don't know but at least from what we could see, he, he was being part of the team and wanted to be with the team, not just go off and do his own thing since he wasn't in the race. And I had a lot of respect for that. Now, if he'd had an apartment in Abu Dhabi, though, he may have walked back to his apartment. Because that was always a thing in Monaco when drivers would be out. to be like, we don't know where he is. I think we went back to his apartment in Monaco. Whatever. <laughs> or in Coulthard's case, he'd just go back to his hotel and, you know, check into whatever suite he wants. But, um, yeah, so it was – I mean, it, it was – disappointing to see him out of the race but at the same time it's sort of like all right dude you know what like i think it was it was interesting then to see the rest of the field liven up um and uh and you know it does give the opportunity to uh to some other folks to uh, to see what they can do um so the mercedes were running very very close to each other dangerously close it seemed but they were able to come away cleanly um throughout throughout the opening laps but uh really a lot of the action was around uh mark weber and jensen button um and uh and you know lonzo seemed uh fairly straightforward behind Hamilton, um, just kind of hanging on and, uh, you know, occasionally putting Hamilton under threat and occasionally falling back a little bit. But they, but um, Alonso said he was essentially doing qualifying laps like the entire race. He sort of figured things would settle down into a groove like they usually do. Uh, but no, just the way, uh, the way the pace was, the way the, what the McLarens were able to do, that's, that's what it took to, uh, to keep up and, uh, and, you know, keep up with Hamilton. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, Button did lose out. And uh, we, with uh, the DRS zones, we saw several times over the course of one lap in the first DRS zone a driver getting passed and then using the second DRS zone to just pass him back. So in a way, um, people were saying, oh, this is great. There's so much overtaking. You know, this has really solved the problem of Abu Dhabi. Uh, but no, a lot of times, yeah, the net result is zero because, 
you know, it was, you know, fifth and sixth, and then they passed each other, and it's sixth and fifth, and then it went back at the end of the lap. So by the time they crossed our finish, they were right back where they started. Yeah. Arguably, it was more exciting for, you know, us watching on TV to well, see them passing each other, but it was still a little bit, little bit weird. There weren't that many passes either. You know, a lot of the action was strategic. Who, you know, whose pit stop's going to be quicker than whom else's, and uh, those type of those type of calculations going on. Who's doing what with tire management, that kind of stuff. They, the top four or five, stayed fairly spread out for the majority of the race, in my opinion. And we got a couple of moments where, you know, especially towards the beginning, where you know Jensen and Massa were getting close to each other and racing a little bit. Then Massa and Weber were uh, racing a little bit, and. And, you know, so we had these brief moments, but for the most part, they stayed pretty well spread out. And I found the race to kind of drag on a little bit myself. Um, it got a little bit tight for the lead uh, leading up to the second round of pit stops. Um, Lewis had control of the race uh, from the beginning, basically. But Alonzo was catching. Alonzo was close. And Lewis pitted early. And Alonzo was on a serious charge um, to get a long enough, big enough gap leading up to his second pit stop so that he could get into and out of the pits and stay in the lead. And it was close. And I don't think you can do much to uh, to blame Alonzo for not obtaining it because he was over 20 seconds in the lead when he entered the pits. Alas, he entered the pits just behind an HRT who probably entered the pits somewhat slowly, and obviously you can't pass in the pits unless it's your teammate, and then you somehow sometimes you see that you <laughs> Every can. once in a while, yeah. But, and then also the pit stop itself from Ferrari wasn't actually that quick, which was unfortunate. And so once that second round of pit stops happened, at least for the absolute lead, that pretty much settled it. Yeah, and that, I mean, they were talking a lot about the pit stop delta and that 20 seconds, which is pretty much the standard, uh, you know, get in the pits, get the tires changed, get back out to pit exit and all that. Um, and it's a little bit of a, of a weird number because, of course, the pit exit, you know, what that time counts is from, from I guess, the moment they have to be on the pit lane speed limiter till they're off of it. So it's there's the pit entry and exit. And in this case, of course, the exit is a whole little tunnel. It kind of goes downhill and around a tunnel and back uphill and so on. So, you know, when they were getting into that tunnel, we were already getting, hey, here's the complete time for the pit stop. So it, it the whole pit in, pit stop, and out, you know, back onto track was more than 20 seconds, certainly. Um, but that's also, of course, the guys that are not in the pit stops do have to traverse that same distance, you know, on the racetrack. So it wasn't, uh, you know, out or of... it may even be a longer distance because of the tunnel and everything else. Yeah. So it's, I mean, they were saying, okay, yeah, it's down to 20 minutes and it was even, or 20 seconds. It was even 19 something. It was, it was under 20 seconds. Um, but still it looked like, you know, by the time he'd entered the pits, I think it was, it was just not close enough. I think it, you know, he needed more than that to, to get out. Cause by the time, uh, by the time Alonzo exited the pits and yes, there was the HRT and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, Hamilton was a couple of corners ahead and it just really didn't seem like that was going to be that close. I think it was um, Alonso just getting the best he possibly could out of that car and, uh, and like I said, you know, doing qualifying laps that whole time. But, uh, you know, Hamilton also knew what he had to do. And uh, not only that, <laughs> that but the he, theme of this race, but he did coverage. what he had to do, in, which was just keep putting down as fast laps as he possibly could and uh, was able to, to retain the lead. So, um, I mean, we might as well just say that here. Uh, you know, ha- Lewis Hamilton did come home with a victory today. He was on the top step of the podium um, and, uh, and and did a great job to, you know, keep Alonso at bay and really just seemed in control. And, you know, I finally saw some, some happiness and some emotion out of Lewis um, in, in contrast to what we've seen in a couple of, you know, the last couple of races. And uh, 
it was funny because he's talking about this as a new beginning and all that, and it's the second to last round of the ra- of the season. Right. So it's sort of like, oh, this is a new beginning, and this really is opening things up. We've got a long way to. No, we don't. No, nope, have nope, one more. That's one more. But uh, hmm. oh well. But uh, it was definitely good for him. It was kind of funny. It's been such a long time. Lewis finally came back. So, well, he did win earlier this season twice. So it's kind of funny how it, it gets kind of over over dramatized a little bit, but. Certainly, no one's going to argue that Lewis has been down some. He has been more melancholy, and this certainly did seem to perk him up. So everyone here was happy for him. Apparently, I predicted Lewis winning one race too early. Ah. I saw it coming, but uh, apparently my clairvoyance wasn't quite as sharp as it needed to be. Um, But no, good for him. He drove really, really well. Would he have won the race if Vettel weren't there? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Um, the other uh, sort of side of that coin, though, I think, is is Weber, um, who started fourth and then, of course, immediately you know would have gained a spot. From I think what you might prefer to say is the other side of the brim of the hat is Weber. <laughs> ah, I see uh-huh. what you did there. Yeah. Although he's not on the other side from, from Hamilton. But, um, well. but Weber starting fourth, and, and, of course, everyone would have gained a position when, when Vettel was out, except Alonzo. Um, moved from behind uh, Weber, just had a ridiculous start, and actually passed both Weber and Button. And then, of course, everybody passed Vettel as he was off on the side of the track. So, um, you know, essentially Weber just retained fourth there, um, and then sort of slowly slipped back through through you know pit stops and just kind of you know getting passed by folks. Uh, you know, worked his way back to sixth place, and uh, and then you know with the, the second round of pit stops. Um, did have a couple of good moves near the end, but uh, you know ended up losing out to Jensen Button near the end of the race. And uh, it's just, you know, with all the potential, of course, we've seen in the Red Bull, you know, to qualify the car fourth and then you know end up not being able to improve on that, even with his teammate being out of the, you know, being being pushed out of the race. It seems like it would have been a podium in the bag for Weber, and it just should wasn't. have been. Definitely should have been. It's the fastest car on the grid. We've talked about that many times. Yeah, and. It, it's always interesting. Weber tends to have more so than Vettel unorthodox pit strategies. And we saw that again today where most people, certainly all the leading cars, were on a fairly straightforward two-stop strategy. Most of them were doing soft, soft, hard. Started the race on softs, switched to softs after the first pit stop, hard for the last run. Um, I do believe Nico Rosberg was an exception to that. And then some of the mid-packers, like uh, I know Paul DiResta started on the hard, hard tire, a couple things like that. Yeah. Um, but Weber did a three-stop strategy and did soft, 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 and then hard for not even a full lap. Yeah, it was hard on the final lap, lap of the race. He came in for a pit stop, and they changed him out of the hard tires. He did most of a lap on hards. And, did and that math work out? I, I doubt it. I think I think had he had a more traditional uh, pit stop strategy because he was faster than Button was. Button didn't have the pace in the car for some reason, especially had a a hard first stint for some reason. He didn't seem to have the pace. Or maybe, as much as anything, maybe it was that Alonso's pace was much better than everyone expected after qualifying one way or the other. But Weber was right there as well. And certainly he put in the fast lap of the race. He should have been able to, to challenge, but he had an extra pit stop to do. Yeah, I mean, it was. We saw. I mean, Weber really seemed to come alive uh, in the last third of the race. Um, I guess he was on, uh, you know, he was on soft tires, and the fuel was getting light at that point. And a lot of other people were on hards to sort of just finish off the race. But you know, he really came alive. But it was like, dude, you've only got ten laps to make anything happen. Now. Right. He did have a pass on Button, but it was only only because 
Um, well, it was because he was faster, but you know, he still had to do his pit stop afterwards. So it was like, okay, right. you can get past him, get a couple of seconds. He had like a 10 second lead, but of course that's half of what you need for the, uh, to make a difference with the pit stop. So it was like, you, just sort of, yeah, disappointment in that he came alive, but it was, you know, too little too late or just right. the way the strategy worked out never quite made sense or whatever. And uh, what they were talking about, I think it was, you know, like Rosberg's strategy was to have the harder tires during the during the evening or earlier in the race when the the track is warmer, you can actually get a little bit more grip out of the rather than doing that, you know, after it's dark and the track starts cooling down and it's cooler, then the, the hard tires really don't work as well because it's just that much harder to get them at any kind of temperature, get any kind of stick out of them. Um, but this whole, yeah, pitting on the very last lap, um, I mean, it meant he, you know, he came out and he was nowhere near anyone else on track. So I guess that's a fine way to finish the race, but it just really doesn't seem like the smartest of strategies and sort of you kind of wonder how that how that all comes together and his uh his final pit stop is or, or the second to last pit stop um was kind of a, a little bit slow a little bit awkward as well um i was just figuring at one point they might just send vettel out from the garage and have weber hop out of the car and just you know give sebastian a couple more laps just to <laughs> kind of finish things off for the well, team he's double there. world champion i mean if weber were double world champion yeah. they would do the same thing for it, him it, it's equal just whoever's equal. ahead and yeah then, yeah exactly. you know and then vettel could have still come back and won the right but <laughs> it was yeah he came alive but it was it was just too late and uh just kind of unfortunate um, well, and that was the actually the interesting thing weber also had the long first pit stop and the speculation was that they were checking the same suspension area of weber's car that failed on vettel's car but that doesn't line up with the tire went down the tire went down so um Weber's first pit stop in the actual pits itself was a solid 15 seconds instead of four. So that certainly hurt, hurt him as well. Yeah. And I mean, they just don't like him there, do they? They no. <laughs> Cause even I when mean, Vettel's out, they got a slow Weber down. Yeah, exactly. And then there was even, you know, pressure from Massa for a while and Massa was ahead. Um, but then Massa ended up, you know, spinning off later in the race and just, uh, uh, he wasn't, um, wasn't to lose the position, but it was sort of, okay, no, Massa was no longer a threat after spinning right. off. And, you know, so it was even a potential that, uh, that Massa could have come back with some late race fire and, and even uh, moved Weber, you know, uh, one position back further. But uh, that didn't end up happening. But uh, it was, yeah, just kind of, a, you know, a, maybe a disappointing day for Red Bull and that, you know, their star uh, was out of the race early on. And then, uh, you know, that other guy that works there too, um, you know, didn't uh, didn't quite deliver as much as they would have liked. The uh, other guy on the hat. Yeah, he... It was I mean, we think he's great. Just, we, to, we, just to be clear. We think he's, you know, him and Steve and... Sebastian, they're all great. Um, Mark Weber had the fastest lap time, uh, 42.6. Second fastest lap time was Jensen Button with a 43.1. And then Lewis Hamilton had the third fastest lap time. Kamui Kobayashi had the fourth fastest lap time. And uh, Vitaly Petrov had the fifth. Um, Fernando Alonso, for all the pressuring he did, for all the qualifying laps he did, he was only the sixth fastest lap time on the, in, in the race. I thought that was interesting. Well, which is about right. I mean, if you were fifth in qualifying, um, and not behind Kobayashi and stuff, but you know that, yeah, even qualifying laps for the Ferrari are still no match for, you know, the McLaren and uh, McLaren and Red Bulls. But uh, yeah, it's and obviously Sebastian Vettel didn't even have a chance to get fastest lap of the race as he did not complete a lap of the race. This is true. So now uh, moving into the mid pack a little bit because, in many ways, that's the cl- that's the closest battle in a constructor sense at the very least. Um, it was definitely uh, Force India's day. Uh, both cars scored points. Adrian Sutil in eighth, Paul Dressen in ninth, uh, giving them six points total. And then uh, uh, Sauber Ferrari, uh, Kamui Kobayashi scored one single point for finishing tenth. Uh, the thief was eleventh and didn't score anything. Chico although Perez. he was ahead of both 
uh, STR Ferraris, who had a fairly miserable day. Uh, Jaime Alguasari ended up in 15th, and Sebastian Buemi retired with a hydraulics failure in, uh, what I believe that is, 21st. So, uh, no, 22nd. 22nd, so, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it, STR was kind of on the rise. They were earning more points. They were getting ahead. And, uh, you know, it kind of fell apart for them. So now going into the very last race, uh, Force India has 57 points compared to in sixth. And Sauber Ferrari has 42 points in seventh. And STR Ferrari has 41 points in eighth. So I, I, it looks likely that, um, you know, mathematically speaking, Sauber Ferrari could still overtake Renault, actually, but uh, that would require a first a one-two finish. So. You, mean, you mean Team Lotus? Sorry, Team Lotus, uh, the team formerly known as Renault, except still presently known as Currently Renault. Known Future as, to be formerly known as Renault. Yes. Anyway. Soon to be formerly known as Renault. Right. I think. I could try saying it again, too. I couldn't. Okay. Anyway, Force India is probably fairly secure in sixth place. Um, but a one-point difference between Sauber and STR going into the final race. So that seventh spot in the team championship is definitely up for grabs and should be pretty exciting. And, of course, there's lots of money at stake between uh, seventh and eighth, and they're going to be very interested in trying to get that because, you know, the better you do this year, the more money you're going to have to do better next year, and that's, you know, that's what teams want. But I think in a way... What we re- really should be doing is congratulating Force India. Sixth place in the championship is solid. I mean, you look at the teams ahead of them. It's Renault or Lotus or whatever. Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull. So, you know, Force India beat Williams, beat Sauber, beat ST. I mean, pretty pretty impressive for that team. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I mean, it's sort of the the untouchables and Renault are almost like when you think about who's in front of them. It's like, well, they're, they're not going to get in front of, you know, McLaren and Mercedes and those kind of things at this level. But um, and then and then, of course, Renault, um, who's, you know, really points wise fallen off in the second half of the season. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, Nick Heidfeld is still ahead of Vitaly Petrov in the championship and he hasn't raced in like, you know, the last you know half of the season. He's just in for a few races in the, early on and then uh, obviously got swapped out for Bruno Senna. So it's uh, you know, Renault slash Lotus, you know, black Renault, uh, black and, black and gold ones. Why has it got to be black? Cause, Why you got to do that? Because the other Lotuses are green. Oh, um, oh. Okay, are, that, that explains it. You know, it's it's still, they're just kind of, you know, they're trying to figure themselves out, and I guess they're, they're doing the best they can with what they've got or whatever, but it's, uh, you know, sort of this weird fall from, um, when you think of you know Renault and Alonso's hands, oh five, oh six, double championships, and kind of when they were the, the Red Bulls of the field or whatever, you know, oh, when, and, and Alonso's hands much more recently in the Renault as well, right? And know. then then of course there was McLaren in the back, and and just you know what could have been with with Kubica, and then you know they have the Heidfeld results, and then switching drivers, and then you know and still the fact that they're the, the driver who's been out of the car for most of the season still has more points than Vitaly Petrov, who's got the money behind him, and blah blah blah, but. Um, well, no, uh, Vitaly did finally overcome Heidfeld by two oh, points. Did he t- by yeah, two points? It's 36 points for Fidali, F- Vitaly Petrov and uh, 34 for Heidfeld. Well, I stand corrected then. Vitaly Petrov is amazing. <laughs> or, yeah, or maybe poor, not. poor old Quicknick. Um, you know, I actually just read an article about him, and you know, he's still looking for an F1 ride. Probably isn't going to happen. He might be able to get a, a reserve driver's seat. He's also been, he's also been poking around the DTM. And also pay, uh, possibly uh, Lamar related stuff. Um, 
does he deserve to be in Formula One? Uh, you know, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he, he had some good results with Renault, and obviously he, he stacked up, you know, a fair number of points in what is arguably a lackluster car. But, you know, could he have helped make that car less lackluster? Um, is an awkward way of asking that question. Yes. But, well, know. I mean, the, the, what Nick is very good at is staying out of trouble and being consistent and bringing the car home, right? And if you can do that over and over and let guys fall out around you, you know, you can snag two points here, three points here, maybe six or eight points once in a while. There, points start adding up. Yeah. And Petrov, while much better than last year, is still less consistent than Heidfeld was, even though qualifying performance-wise um, – he uh, he was clearly showing strength. It it goes down to what I've been saying for a couple of years now, which is I, I still, for the vast majority of the times, do not understand mid-season drivers' changes. Because it seems like you're going to be better off sticking with the driver you've got most of the time because the new driver just inevitably has, there's so many things to learn and get used to with everything else. It's just... Even if he's quicker, he's not going to be up to speed. It's like selling one used car to buy another used car. You know, it's like just stick with what you know. <laughs> you can make it work. It doesn't always pay to just yeah. But the problem is, since testing is so limited, it's almost like you're sacrificing something to get the new guy up to speed. Yeah. Which is suggestive that Senna is going to be getting up to speed, but then the Renault seat, you know, that's kind of an open-ended question. There's no guarantees there. Yeah. So, interesting thing. Um. So I think God, I mean it. I, Overall, I'm sorry. I I still didn't think it was. I thought it was a fairly boring race. Yeah, I would say the first like three laps were were pretty sweet, and then it just kind of settled down from. Ironically there. enough, before Durs even kicked on, those yeah. were the exciting laps for you. And then because uh, <laughs> that was going to be the savior for this place. Yeah, and well, I mean Fernando Alonso wasn't stuck behind Petrov for the whole race, so I guess in that way it's uh, it's a success. But so just looking at some of the results for um, Ferrari, which basically means Fernando Alonso because you know. Obviously, Massa just really hasn't had the results, and he's got you know half the number of points that the, all the other you know kind of second place contenders have in the championship and all that. Um, and I and I guess in a way, you know, I can I can understand why Ferrari is disappointed. They've been so close so many times, yeah. and just lost out. I mean, in the fact that Alonso is still as, as good as he is as getting just everything and more from a car, and uh, and it's just still it's these second places. He's been you know he's had some you know some. Just really solid performances, and uh, and it was even looking like possibly even a win today, which of course would have been really exciting for the team and all that. Um, but uh, that just that you know Alonso Ferrari um, package just hasn't quite come together, um, you know, as well as they would have wanted it to. And of course, you know, to Ferrari to go from uh, as winning a constructor as they were to uh, to where they are now and how hard they have to fight to even get a win. Um, it's uh, it's kind of wild. I mean, they're certainly. I mean, they're you know ahead of the mid pack, and they're certainly you know they're in the top three. They're in the, the contenders in terms of who who could possibly win a race and who's you know even sort of being thought about as a championship. But um, you know, just looking at how many times Alonso has been on the podium, and yet uh, you know that the points haven't come together. And of course, how close they were at the end of last year, and and uh, and just you know where that Ferrari's been. And even of course, Massa v Hamilton. You know, when it was almost Massa, and it was Massa until until Hamilton just <laughs> made the pass for seven. You know, just all these uh, you know how close Ferrari has been for so long that must be really frustrating for that organization, especially with, uh, you know, driving talent like Alonso to, uh, you know, just get everything they possibly can out of the car. And still, um, you know, still, this is just to, uh, you know, for still third in the Constructors' Championship, you know, well behind McLaren, who themselves is way behind Red Bull. Um, it's, uh, it's, kind of, it's, you know, a little bit disappointing there. It's an interesting organization, though, because they talk about how, how poor they've been in the recent past. Well, 
They won the world championship, the drivers' world championship in two thousand eight. They nearly uh, two thousand seven. They nearly won it in two thousand eight. Two thousand nine was not a great year for them, but that was also the year where uh, Massa got knocked in the head by Spring, and Raikkonen still went on and won races for them. They nearly won the championship in twenty ten, last year. That was that was down to the last race, which happened to be in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you know that was. Alonso and Weber fighting for the championship, and Vettel was the one with the outside chance in terms of points, at least. And this year, this year has probably been the hardest year for them. They still want to race, so it, it, it's it, you're absolutely right everything you're saying, but it's still by most results still very strong. And it's not like they fell off massively like they did in the 90s. Yeah, and that's almost what makes it so bad is that they are so strong and yet, you know, they get so close but just can't, you know, can't quite put it together that they've come so close so many times and, that, you know, everyone's hopes are up and it's, all oh, this is coming together, this is going to be the time and then it's, oh, it's freaking Vettel or it's Hamilton or it's whatever, you know, that the, the championship can't come together. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, with the one one win this season, you know, that's that's great and all, but it's it's Ferrari and it's this, you know, these stupid energy drink company and they've got all these other wins you know, right. It's just well, I you know, always, for what it is. I always find it funny, like because I've heard it from both Mercedes and Ferrari. We were too conservative with the car and blah blah blah. Oh, we didn't, you know, we weren't aggressive enough with our design. It's like, what does that mean? Like, you knew one thing would be faster, but it was also not as conservative. And you're like, let's be more conservative. I mean, it it just seems hard to me to kind of uh, contemplate being conservative. As part of a Formula One design. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And, well, I remember even, I think it was beginning of 09, um, when they said, oh, we've got a really radical new car for 09, and we're really, we're really outside the box on this. And it was just, and it just, and it was, uh, and it was red and white instead of just being red or something. No, like, and it just, and it came out, they were like, oh, well, that actually wasn't very good. You know, <laughs> so it's, I guess maybe the way it works at Ferrari is like, hey, let's try everything we can. Nah, take a few of those updates off because if we go that far, it's just going to be right. rubbish. Like, yeah, it's, it's but you say that, and they're saying next year's car is going to be much more aggressive. Oh, good. We have a very, well, very aggressive, and and Braun, uh, Ross Braun, has said the same thing, but, but he's been a little bit more specific. Ross Braun said we underestimated the effectiveness or the potential effectiveness of the hot blown diffusers. Hmm. They kind of they kind of had, as as I understand it, and you know, I'm not Ross Braun. It was more ideally suited or more set up to uh, uh, take advantage of cold-blown exhaust and that the hot-blown would just be a little bit extra. But then they saw teams like McLaren get a lot more out of the hot-blown exhaust, and their fundamental design couldn't couldn't adapt to that. As yeah, which is a little bit funny because, of course, Braun became what they are. I mean, out of the, the shards of Honda uh, and then with a the new powertrain. Because of the blown diffuser. But because that blown diffuser yeah. was like the distinction i mean that was really what put that team you know yeah. on the map at all and to the, the level RB5, of success the rb5 in 2009 should have been the car to beat but yeah. it wasn't because of the blown diffuser right yeah, absolutely right so it's so funny to you know i guess it's easy for us to say but for ross brown to say oh we had you know it's just one little technical change it can't be that big of a difference it's like dude you know look yeah. at your career for a second of what happened you know last year it's certainly and, ironic there's no doubt about yeah it's it. just kind of funny that the of, of anyone to you know underestimate the effect of one little technical change that uh, that ross brown and, and company would be uh, the ones to do that yes so um you, you mentioned fernando alonso and how he was one of these drivers that could really get the maximum out of a car, even when it wasn't the best, and still at 30 years old, pushing so hard and doing so well. You kind of sound, you kind of remind me of somebody. You kind of sound like Lewis Hamilton a little bit just then. What? 
And I feel like this is better listener feedback conversation. Okay. But, but So maybe we should just get to it. All right, let's do it. Of course, it's time for everyone's, we've now found out, second favorite part of the show and ours. It's listener feedback. And, well, we, we've had a very, very active Facebook page. We've had comments on the F1 show itself. And we have man love to discuss. We certainly do. It's been called man love. It's been called a bromance. It's been called a new exchange of mutual respect. Uh, I've heard that, you know, someone Hamilton their Alonzo. I heard someone's Alonzo got Hamilton in the button. I've heard all kinds of things. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so whether this is Hamilton um, being down from breaking up with his girlfriend, and now he just needs any, any hug he can find or whatever, um, yeah, it's been... <laughs> any hug he can find. <laughs> hug. Hug. Hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> okay, sorry. That, that was a funny image. I'm just... You please move forward. Okay, well, that's part of uh, Colin Sato's comment, not the any hug part, but this, you know, after, after, his, after his breakup, maybe he's looking for something different. I think maybe Colin had something else in mind there. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I guess they're sort of like, you know, uh, hey, man, Vettel ran off and did his whole thing, and he's got a championship or whatever. But you know what? You're a great driver. No, you're a great driver. And I think part of, the, part of it may be a little bit underhanded at Vettel, um, you know, specifically Alonzo's comments um, – where, you know, where I mean, both their comments back and forth have sort of been to the effect of anyone can win when they've just got the best car ever. But what it really takes something special is to get more than the car deserves or drive beyond whatever, you know, that, that kind of tone, um, which is sort of their, I think, their way of, of a little bit of a slight at Vettel saying like, yeah, he's a good driver and all. But I mean, it's really just having the right car at the right place at the right time is, is really what, what made Vettel uh, the double champion that he is. And of course, you know, Hamilton was blown away. That's in air quotes by the praise that Alonzo gave him and then went on to give equal praise saying Alonzo is, he said, I always said Alonzo is one of the best, if not the best driver in the world. And what was interesting to me about that is like, okay, that's all well and good. You guys have had a historically tumultuous relationship and here it is out of nowhere, Alonzo's throwing an olive branch, you know, not extending it, he's throwing it. <laughs> and As the tumultuous relationship. <laughs> but, and, and Hamilton, you know, genuinely surprised by it and has an honest reaction saying, I've always thought he's a great driver. And what was interesting is <clears throat> that seemed to extend onto the podium. Of course, they finished 1-2 in the race. And Hamilton said, I was thinking as I was doing my cool-down lamp after the race that I was, you know, I, I beat, you know, how I was ahead of one, you know, I was racing the greatest driver in the world today and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my God, you guys are laying it on thick now. On the Facebook page itself, there was a you know discussion about what was the underhanded nature of this comment, like what was the real purpose of the comment. And to be totally honest with you, you know, you know, Alonzo has that calculated mindset of like if anyone could somehow come up a way to make this a strategic, you know, point, I, it would be Alonzo. But genuinely, I, I was thinking it would be Schumacher if anyone. But, but, <laughs> you know, but Schumacher in his heyday, but Schumacher, Schumacher from Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, you know, me, I, I truthfully just think he was being honest. I don't think he was even necessarily trying to give Hamilton a ton of praise. I think he was just being honest. Is that who am I looking out for next year? It's Hamilton. He's the one that always seems to be quick. I think that. I mean, that's true too. I mean, you could look at it from a statistical sense. You know, Hamilton has been competitive. Very competitive in 2007, won in 2008, 
2009, not as I don't remember to be totally honest, but he was a contender in 2010 for a long time, and this year as well was the first time he kind of had that lull second half of the season. But even then, even with his lull, he's won three races. So, yeah, but I guess why wouldn't he say he's looking out for Vettel though? I mean, that's the natural. The, the natural progression, I guess. There's no reason to think that... I think he's not looking out for Vettel because he's already assuming Vettel will be ahead of him. <laughs> ah, maybe that's what he's trying to say. <laughs> the guy that I might be able to beat will be... Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I think everyone is just so overwhelmed by how much Vettel has taken these last two years by storm. And really this year. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, maybe they're just trying to build each other up. I, don't, I, I can't really explain. But what I... My point is... It's, I, I don't see... How him saying that would really be a dig on Vettel? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, say yeah, saying the other guy's great is one thing, but to say like you know, to you know, to say oh, it, you know, what really takes something special that this guy's got is to win in anything but the best car, which both Alonso and Hamilton have done this year, and Button as well, although no one's talking about him. But um, I mean, but clearly, clearly, Weber and Vettel have effectively the same car, right? Well. I mean, I know. We, I know, but it, it, the car, I'm sure, was built around Vettel's needs and everything else. But Vettel is quite a bit quicker than Weber in that same car. I, I, I really don't think, I really don't think Vettel is going to be that. You know, I don't think it's going to be that effective against Vettel as a as a word as a mind play. I guess. Well, no, I don't think it, to be effective. But I guess if if you try to think about well, what is their point or what is what are they really trying to communicate? Then arguably that that's one thing that comes to mind. But either way, yeah, I mean it's, I mean I think they're they're at a point in in both of their careers that, um, you know as much as Alonso has has played the villain against Hamilton and, and whatever, um, it's not like either of them is going to benefit from like oh I'm so you know angry at blah 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 or like I'm I'm so vicious and I'm out to win and at all costs and screw everybody else. I mean no one's going to benefit from being nasty to the other one. And I think they're they're more, um, you know almost if if being out of contention like this has sort of humbled each of them a little bit if, or anything to sort of say, hey, you know what, let's, let's not be so angry at each other, but uh, just, or, or just, you know, there's no reason to be uh, antagonistic, I guess was the word I was searching for, mm. um, that it's like, hey, you know what, let's, let's, let's talk about our man love for each other. <laughs> we also had um, a few comments on F1show.com, um, specifically um, our good, good friend CKW, said, brilliant show as usual. Thanks for the effort you put in. You are welcome. Your guest, Kevin, was superb. But please tell me, who will get ownership of the sign cap he gave you? Uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's at my place right now, which is arguably F1 Show World Headquarters because we record more often there than at your place. Very true. Um, but, uh, yeah, but you've got weekend visitation privileges. It's like every other weekend. Right. It goes to yours. Right. And then... Which you know, you know, I'm I'm filing for an appeal. But on if that. I'm going to be out of town for more than three days, yeah. I have to get it to you first, so that it, you know, my my lawyer said that there's an injunction that we can put in. Well, I, my my people are looking into that. I don't think that's going to go. Well, through. my people looked into what your people were looking into and found out your people well, were wrong. Well, either way, um, it's I, I really wish he didn't bring that up because it's a bit of a sore subject. <laughs> uh, that the, uh, the hat is definitely a gym's uh, where it will remain. Uh, we've got some really cool F1 show stuff. Uh, a couple years ago from Brendan James Cronk, and that is still in my possession. And uh, not only that, uh, you know, Kevin's your buddy and everything else, so it makes perfect sense for the hat to remain with you. I have a photo of it, which I will cherish and remember, and I will I will look at it from time to time to be sure. I mean, you can come over and, you know, pet it sometimes if you want. 
Well, I'm telling you, we just need kind of bask in its glory. I have been, and everyone, get on Facebook and you know, help me encourage Jim. I've been telling him we need to like really properly fix up F1 World headquarters and make it like bombastic and cool and stuff. Maybe not bombastic, but bombastic cool. May at not least. be the best word for a recording <laughs> but, studio. But uh, you know, I, I'm telling him I'm willing to put in the uh, the sweat to to make it happen. Yeah. Well, I've got to I've got to take you up on that and uh, and make make our recording situation uh, even that much cooler. But uh, either way, uh, we have a bunch more, um, bunch more comments. You know, people I think liked having the guest, but also like the general show that you and I have. Absolutely. Uh, both Neil Popham and Laura Jordan wrote in about that. Um, and then also, uh, first-time commenter uh, Stefan Kraus, um, who was actually referred to uh, by someone I know quite well. And as a hint, she shares my birthday, and that of course would be my twin sister. Ah. Um, so uh, I don't think she's the only person that shares a birthday. No, but one of the few people that I know quite well who shares my birthday. Ah, uh, fair point. Um, so, uh, and so, so thanks for checking us out, Stefan, and uh, thanks for the recommendation, Abby. Um, and, uh, and and so he's talking about the uh, the plans to F, uh, of F one coming to Austin next year. I think there's an Austinite, and of course my sister used to live there. And uh, I'm wondering if we know even what month it's going to happen. And as a matter of fact, we do. And we do. Better, we do. Better than that, we know the exact date, um, which I've, I'm of course pulling up in my calendar in front of me right now. Yes. It is November 2012. Uh, specifically, the 18th will be the race. So uh, the weekend of 16, 17, 18th of November 2012. And what's kind of cool uh, about that is that the it, it's only one week before the season finale, which is in Brazil. So a lot of times we've seen, um, and of course that's where we are in the season right now with Abu Dhabi. In this case, the season, you know, the, the championships have already been tied up. Uh, it's just all about kind of the shuffling around for second place and all that. But it is usually, it adds that much more excitement uh, compared with the early season races where it's sort of still anybody's game and anything can happen, where there's a little bit more pressure down to the wire and sort of, you know, where... Um, you know, potentially a retirement for the guy leading the championship could be a really, really huge deal. And so there's just kind of that much more excitement around the race. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. And um, it's just over a year away. It's, uh, you know, a, a year and five days or something. And uh, until we will have F1 back uh, on, on in the U.S. And uh, and then a the year after that, we'll have two races in our country to look forward to. So that's just, that's just going to be sweet. So thanks for the comment there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I wanted to – we had a couple of comments. We, again – we posted a, a bunch of photos on Facebook of our lovely Indian cuisine, of the now famous hat that we've gotten, and uh, we also posted a comment. Um, uh, we finally, I got the photo up from Jono on the ch- chair setup he had to bring us his Australian Formula One coverage to us via the interwebs, and it was a chair within a chair on a stack of books and a computer and the whole thing. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Sean Scanlon, who very cleverly named it chairception chair within a chair i thought that was funny i like that it's good all right just looking through the other uh, comments we've got man lots of feedback since india i mean if you go on the facebook page just the first whole, oh, it's crazy. whole page is just from the last like 16 hours oh i know um, we're blowing up so man. rather than spend another three hours discussing what happened on the facebook page what i would recommend our listeners do is visit f1show.com uh, from which you can comment on the shows directly right there. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, Twitter feeds, and all that. And, uh, and you can even send us an email to feedback at f1show.com if you'd like to have your voice heard one way or another. Trivia. 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 Trivia.
we were convinced, Jim and I, that it wasn't. We were wrong. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of excitement around it, but... Uh, and, and Robin, I, I have to thank you for this. You are very productive on F1 show things when you have really important studying to do. <laughs> it helps a lot. And I the, get a lot done. And the result of that, of course, in this case, was was not that you cleaned your desk off or that you you know rearranged no, the furniture desk was still dirty. or anything like that yep. um, or decided it was a good time to wax the car or anything. But no, in this case, it was let's post a poll on the F1 show and see what our listeners think. And uh, and, and so, yeah, people want trivia. So uh, can, you, can you hit us with some trivia? I can. I can. So... The trivia question is, who is the least successful F1 driver of all time? Now, that is actually a very broad statement, and it has a lot of subjective answers. I would say that I am, seeing <laughs> as how I've never competed in a race, never scored a point. So we have qualified it to, uh, oh, to, oh. to, to solve this problem. Oh, okay. So that definition that we're using of least successful is who has competed in the most Grand Prix without ever winning one. Okay, so we're not going on points here. We're going on, on race wins. The most starts without ever winning. All and right, the then. answer will be next show. Now, this is very important. And I'm telling this to you, Jim, because I'm pretending you're the audience at the moment. I am the audience at you, the moment. You are. To keep trivia going, if you guys want trivia, and we want to give you trivia if you want trivia, because we want to please, we're not very smart. In right. fact, quite the opposite. We know very few things. So we strongly, strongly encourage you yourselves coming up with brilliant trivia, which you have done very well so far, and we are very appreciative of it. So send us trivia, send us questions, and send us the answer to those questions. Remember, not that smart. Yeah. Neither Jim or not. Right. All right. So you do that, and we will very, very happily pick the best one and give out trivia. Today's trivia was brought to you by Stuart Mitchell, and we highly, highly thank him for that. He sent us this um, a few weeks ago, and uh, we weren't doing trivia at the time, so we didn't do it. But we've got, uh, we got some uh, requests for it, so we're bringing it back. See if you know as much about F1 trivia as Stuart Mitchell. That's part of the side benefit of sending in trivia is if there's something that you know that very few other people do, then that's Share so- your knowledge. something satisfying. Share your knowledge, that. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we are excited to have trivia back. We want to do it, but we honestly think that the, the best way to do it is to have the interaction with you guys because – it, it does. We learn things when we get trivia from you guys. When we when we find things out ourselves, it's it's cool. But you know, this is even more fun because we would we we would never come up with a lot of these. Right. Because I mean, I'm I'm still here thinking that I'm the least successful F1 driver of all time. But I think there's actually going to be a different answer, seeing as how I don't have any race starts. So um, actually, no, you just gave it away. It was was you. I read closer. Shoot, Jim Lau. Well, sorry Damn. about that. Um, okay. Well, returning to a previous feature. Um, as much as we both dread it this time, uh, I think it's time for predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So right around that part of the season where it gets, you know, boring to predict anything except Vettel, Vettel. It's just he's always winning, and if he's not winning, he's close, and he's always on pole position. And you figure, you know what? Let's just get, let's just give up. You know, this this Vettel guy is always going to win, and it's always just going to be, you know, you can't go wrong with a Vettel Vettel bet. Right then, of course, is where he throws in a curveball and has a uh, ha- has a suspension failure slash puncture slash spin, and uh, and and you know, right in the beginning of the race, he's classified twenty fourth, and that kind of throws a predictions game into a bit of a uh, bit of a turmoil. Well, you know, even after qualifying, it looked once again like the uh, straight bet, and I'll dare say, even after turn one, it looked like the best bet to have. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it quickly went wrong. We've been talking that this is inevitable. This is going to happen. Um, Vettel is not going to have a perfect season. It can't just, everything can't go right. It's going to catch up with him. Well, it did. It just happened to happen on the, on the wrong side for us. And we had said, well, no, it's going his way. It's continuing to go his way. To our credit, it wasn't a mistake he made or anything like that. It was just luck. And he didn't have it today. Uh, but that doesn't change our point score, sir. Uh, we, uh, all three of us, the statistical model, myself and you, picked Vettel to be on pole and Vettel to win the race. We were correct about him being on the pole, incorrect about him winning the race. And by as far incorrect as you can be. So all, all three of us collected 23 points for this weekend. Wow. So just to put that in a bit of perspective, um, I mean, the statistical model has been so, so good and so consistent because... It's either been Vettel, or if it's not been Vettel uh, for for poles and wins, um, then and of course you know the number of points is just how many positions away from perfectly correct you are. Um, you know Vettel's not been far away, and then it's been you know like we've talked about. There's only been seven different guys on the podium this year, and really only a few race winners. So the whole um, you know the, the the pole and and you know the statistical model has been doing a great job this season because it's been a very consistent season. But this throws it off for that, um, and there have been several. Uh, so, so everyone that's playing along at home, using on on the Facebook page, you can click on predictions on the left hand side and actually make your own predictions here. Um, those those people, there's a few people that have been specifically not choosing Vettel, whether they don't like him or they don't think he's going to win or whatever. And this really came good for those people. So just to yes. give a quick rundown, the statistical model is still the most accurate with only 59 points um, over the course of the whole season so far. But James Payne is just behind that with only one point more than the stat Made model. Made huge amounts of ground. Which is, which is just brilliant for him, and, uh, and he's done a great job. Then Bodhi Tuladar, Ben Hessenthaler, and Craig Wilson um, uh, for the top five. And then it's actually, uh, I'm in sixth place with 86 points, which seems horrible now compared to the statistical model's brilliance, or James Payne's brilliance. Uh, then Sean Scanlon, and then you, Robin, and then Ken Frischnecht, and Neil Popham himself, the prediction stud. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's been... Uh, a bit of a roller coaster. We were doing a lot better than that. And of course, this is what happens though, um, is that, uh, you know, that's why it's predictions and why it's not just let's, let's put some numbers in a spreadsheet because it is that risk of who knows what's going to happen and, uh, trying to predict what's going to happen in the future, which of course, uh, can change all the time. Yes, absolutely. So boldly moving forward as we always do, we must, must predict again for Brazil. So, which poses the question, right? You just say, okay, well, Vettel's going to bounce back, and it's going to be Vettel-Vettel. Um, well, let's start here. What does the statistical model say is going to happen? The Vettel's going to be on pole, and Hamilton will win the race. And it does so because Vettel was on pole last time, and Hamilton won the race la- last time, and that's all the statistical model knows. It's just a spreadsheet, man. But you, sir, are not a simple model. You are a complex individual. I'm, in fact, not a model at all. <laughs> you are the worst Formula One driver ever. Yeah. Um, so you are going to use your dynamic brain to pick dynamic answers to this question. Ooh, dynamic. Who is going to be on pole? My brain likes being called dynamic. Ooh. Tickle um, that brain of yours. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is going on the wrong track now, it's isn't it? It's really gone wrong. Um, oh, man. I mean, it's, it's usually Vettel. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this discussion. We've had to remind ourselves this. It doesn't matter what you want, right? Right. It, what it, do you think it's actually going to be? Well, and, and I guess that's tempered with, even if I think, you know, there's a chance it could be Hamilton or it could even be Button, you know, looking at qualifying performances and blah, blah, blah. But 
they're much less a, a much less safe bet than Vettel because if Vettel's not on pole, he's probably going to be in second place. Yeah. So uh, trying, so Mark trying, Weber. trying you for want the smart, Weber? Is Weber for the smart I'll money. I'll just start writing just, Weber. It's Sebastian Vettel, dude. Yeah. Okay. And Vettel's on pole. Yeah. And to win the race. Yeah. Wasn't Vettel this last time? It wasn't Vettel this last time. It could be again, of course. Um, and if he doesn't win, it's pos- it's very possible he'll be he'll be right up there close. But you know, I want uh, I want I want a chance to get ahead of the stat model again, which I guess I will anyway if I pick Vettel. But um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little different. I'm gonna I'm gonna say um, Mustachio for for the win. Ooh, Jensen Button, the Movember champion. Good for you, sir. We don't know if he's Movember champion because I haven't seen Mark Webber this weekend. He might have a ridiculous mustache, and he might actually be Movember champion. Well, Weber was clean shaven for Abu Dhabi. Oh, I what? know that for sure. Oh, okay. Yes, I didn't see him. Yeah. Okay. Dang, I was hoping he'd have like a sweet mustache. Yeah, isn't okay. Uh, so, unfortunately, what for you, sir? You're wrong. Okay. Uh, Sebastian Vettel is going to be on pole. You're correct about that, but he is also going to win the race. Oh, well, fair enough. I, I, I you're not going I, Alonso this time. No, I'm not because it's you know he he. What happened was a mistake, and he got his bad luck out of the way. And you know, because oh, that's how luck works. It is. Good. It is. Well, if that's the dynamic, what your he's dynamic earned, brain he's is earned telling luck you. credits now. Oh, so he's oh. got some good luck coming his way. No, and uh, I happened to look at. He won the race last year. He's in the fastest car. He's been the fastest guy. You look at his form after he's won the championship. He's com- been completely relaxed. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Vettel Vettel thing, and I'll tell you what I'm not gonna do ever is is go for Hamilton for the win for his sake and my own. It just doesn't seem to work out. So, anyway, yeah, that's that's you are one suspension upright failure away from just totally losing <laughs> out again to me and and Jensen Button's just dynamic mustache. Yeah, but you got that coefficient of friction between his lip and nose going that uh, I'm, just, not, I'm not I'm not, not so certain about. It's not brilliant to be fair. <laughs> if we give Hamilton crap for his like chin strap situation, then we can definitely uh, you know, we we can bag on Jensen a little bit. Uh, understanding it's for awareness and sort of charity and a good cause, but still, dude, the mustache look is uh Yeah. It's 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 interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have coming up for us. We have um, some, well, Abu Dhabi food coming our way in the very, very near future. Right, which of course we've looked into in the past, and a lot of the uh, sort of the, the Persian Gulf region has very similar food. So what we get here in the U.S. and basically around the world for Middle Eastern food uh, tends to actually be originally Lebanese cuisine, um, but that's pretty much standard for the UAE countries and so on. Um, when I was in Dubai a few years ago, that was a lot of the, the local food was pretty much in line with. Uh, Lebanese cuisine and so on. So, um, and it's good with us. Yeah, that's we're always a fan. Uh, I'm always down for that kind of food. So uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go sort that out. So that'll be our quick little taste of the race. Um, and uh, speaking of taste of the race, um, wait, next... wait, 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 wait. Here, no, hold on, hold what? on, hold on. The diversity of cuisine in Abu Dhabi is a reflection of the cosmopolitan nature of the society. Oh, we can get pizza again. Yes, yes. Arab food is very popular and is available everywhere in the city for the small shawarma to the upscale restaurants and city many hotels fast food and south asian cuisine are also very popular and widely available the sale and consumption of pork though not illegal is regulated and only sold to non-muslims in designated areas similarly the sale of alcoholic beverages is regulated so um we sir have options i mean 
Everything on, but I, pizza. I mean, fair enough. Okay, but it's not like in England you can't get a Kentucky Fried Chicken, though. I mean, it's like I, pretty what? much every country these days has every food available. So you're saying we can get Kentucky Fried so Chicken. So we could get pizza for every race. <laughs> no, burritos. Um, but yeah, so the, this one, you know, it's, it's another tasty race for us. Um, the big highlights for taste of the race for us over the course of the season are, are, are Silverstone for one. Yes. For, fish and chips. For fish and chips, which, you know. And pint of bitters, whatever that is. We still don't know. Um, also, um, also, Italy is always exciting just because we're, we're big pizza fans. But Brazil. But we didn't even do pizza. We didn't. We, we didn't. We went, we went high class this time. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Brazil is coming up, which is just crazy a, a bit nuts in the way that brazilian food is presented to us here i feel like i feel like a caveman whenever we do brazil it's like more meat we feast tonight Rawr! yeah pretty with much our green tokens <laughs> just like a caveman the uh, caveman you know with the green, green tokens the green more. tokens and the little biscuit things um so oh, those, those are good, <laughs> are good. <laughs> it's trouble though it just keeps you from getting more meat but uh, all right, so we've got one more race this season. Yeah, um, we will probably have some exciting things in the off season for you, as always. Um, Our brains have been churning. There's no doubt. Yes. Uh, so it's not the last F1 show for a while, but uh, you know it, these these things wind down, and it's kind of how it goes. So um, two weeks time, we've got a week off. Then it's Thanksgiving and stuff here in the states, and uh, always it should be a nice nice little sort of into the holiday season then, but still one last F1 race to cap things off, ooh, which ooh, should be ooh, exciting. Ooh. You have apparently thought of something. Speaking of the holiday season, you know what would be a great gift? Yes. Why don't you share that with the listeners? You know what would be a great gift? If you head to warnermotorsports.com to check out stylish automotive and racing enthusiast apparel and accessories, including the race proven, durable, sexy, hot to trot, and world famous F1 Show t-shirt. Jim's got one. Don't you want to be like Jim? F1 Show stickers, too. All at warnermotorsports.com. Christmas. Buy one. Buy several. Ooh. Jim's wearing his right now. I am wearing mine right now. I am wearing actually another one. Another Warner Motorsports creation. Yes. That's just brilliant. So, uh, yeah, definitely that's that's a very great gift idea. If anyone is listening to this podcast uh, from someone else's iPod or computer or something and they're like, hey, you know what? This this person, my friend over here uh, or significant other or whatever is really into the F1 show, uh, what would they like for Christmas? Well, you know, just we just solved it. It's a solid way to go, or for any holiday really. That's, and uh, if you're doing a Secret up. Santa, the price is right there for a Secret Santa. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, we will be back in two weeks' time with coverage from Brazil. But until then, I am Jim Lau, and I'm Robin Warner. We'll see you then.